this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you're interested in having more of The Confessionals every week, Go to theconfessionalspodcast.com and become a member by hitting the join button. You get access to extra episodes every Thursday. We come out with a new episode for members. Plus, you get access to live shows with live call-ins, forums, lots of great stuff. So if that interests you, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com and become a member today. Now, this week, we have Alan coming on the show, and Alan's going to share some paranormal experiences, a crazy UFO experience where he, his dad, and his grandfather all saw it. It shot light down on the house, dampened the sound around them. Very, very interesting stuff. And before he even gets to that, he's going to share some stories that his dad shared with him when his father was a hired assassin. So definitely tune in for this week because it's going to be a great show. And before we get to that, though, we're going to play a trailer for this coming Thursday's member episode. Let's go. five years old it all started when we moved into around this house I was laying down and I saw what looked like you know angel above me 
didn't have head. And they just kept telling me that I'm not going to live long. You're going to die soon. And I would tell my mom this. She, you know, she was, you know, she's been a typical mother. You know, it might be her imagination. Kept telling her to bother her more so she talked to the church. And they started having problems with it too. Eventually got to the point where my mom decided to say, you need to cut it out. Just don't talk about it no more. It's done. So it was at that point where I just stopped telling her about it. Didn't really so much stop. Kept going. I just couldn't talk to her about it anymore. Right today we got Alan on the show. Alan, how you doing, man? Doing good, pretty good, Tony. How you doing, man? Doing good, brother. Doing good. So we were talking a little bit before the show, and uh, you're going to come on and you're going to talk about some of your UFO experiences you had in Oregon. Uh, but yeah. before you get into that, if you could, and you don't have to share, you know, tons of details if you don't want to, but uh, you have a dad who um, has a unique story. Uh, to his life. And I think it'd be just interesting to hear whatever you can share about his life and how he kind of got involved in this. Uh, so if you could, I don't want to give too many details away. I'll let you just take it away from here and let the audience, let you share with the audience, you know, what you would like to share with them about uh, the unique special skills that your dad has. All right. Absolutely. Well, um, yeah. So I guess I'll just take you back to when my uh, father was in the military um, he started out in the army. Uh, he wanted to go into Vietnam, but my grandmother wouldn't let him. But when he turned of age, he got drafted. And so the war was over. He's like, yeah, well, I'm in the military now. Went over to Germany, stationed there. And, uh, he got into black marketing. There's not a lot to do there, but, you know, sit around posts and he would sell Levi jeans and Jack Daniels and just whatever he could buy off posts. And, in uh, Germany over there and they would go for a lot more. And well, uh, he ended up getting picked up by the pull eye for black marketing. And they frowned pretty heavily on that over there. And, um, yeah, he was sitting in a, in a German prison or a gulag. And, uh, he was sitting there for a while and the CIA actually pulled up on him and said, Hey, you can sit in here and rot forever, or you can work for us. He said, well, no brainer. I'm going to work for you. You know, so he uh, started doing that. And uh, one of his first missions that they had him do was actually um, an assassination. And uh, he was, you know, getting a little ahead of myself, but he was basically contracted as a government assassin. And uh, they dropped him over in Vietnam at first to uh, take out a general. And uh, he was supposed to go in between. Uh, cars on a convoy. So what my father was supposed to do was to do a halo or a high altitude, low opening uh, drop from the plane. So he dropped all his gear bag 
and he jumped out and he balled up into a ball that looked like a bag of garbage on radar, falling down. And then he said he, uh, he popped his chute, but he popped it way too late. He was about 500 feet off deck or off the ground when he pulled. And he said when he hit the ground, he was just bleeding from every, every spot in his head, and, you know, nose, eyes, ears, mouth. But he still got up. He had to go about two and a half miles to his, um, to his target destination and post up and wait for this Vietnamese general to switch vehicles. Um, and he waited there about a day. And when that happened, he, uh, he actually had a specialized, well, I wouldn't say specialized, but it was an anti, anti-material rifle is what we'd call or a tank rifle. And, uh, he said he had a silencer on that thing. that looked like a coffee can. And, uh, he was just waiting and waiting. Guy came out and, uh, he's watching the, the consulate flag on the vehicle moving for wind speed. And he shot and he hit the guy, but he thought he missed it first. But with the caliber of that round, I mean, you could come pretty close to somebody and you'll still hurt them pretty bad from the, uh, from the, the velocity and just the round passing by so close. It's almost like a concussion. It'll, it'll damage you. But he, you know, he, he completed his mission and he got out of there. But his side mission, since he was in Vietnam, was to relieve or liberate some POWs. And uh, this actually confirms his story to me because um, he, he was able to liberate two people and get them out of there. Now we're going to zoom forward real quick. You know, we're still, still with my father, but we're going to zoom forward to, you know, how I know this is a true story. He and I, we were in a uh, grocery outlet, which is basically a uh, discount grocery store. And uh, this guy standing next to me, he's wearing a Vietnam veteran hat, with all his little medals on it. And he just keeps looking over at my father and looking over at him and looking over at him and looking over at him. And I'm like, what is this guy looking at? Finally, you know, I get the last stuff on the belt to be scant rung up. And this guy comes over and he goes, sir, is your name such and such? And my father wasn't using his real name at the time, you know, for anonymity's sake and, you know, uh, not to be traced by anybody. But my father just goes, who wants to know? He goes, sir, you pulled me out of one of those Vietnam POW camps back in the day. And I just want to say thank you. And my jaw just about hit the floor. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> my father really did that. Like, he told me about it. But, you know, it was kind of one of those, hey, oh, yeah, right. You know, but this guy, I never seen him before. Never met him. Just random happenings. Comes up to my father and he thanks him for getting him out of that POW camp. And I was like, wow. So then let's zoom backwards again. Back to my father. He just pulled those two POWs out of the POW camps. Uh, they ended up sending him down to South America during the uh, drug wars with the Contras and the Costa Rostras. And uh, my father was still a government-contracted assassin at that point. Um, basically, what his job was to uh, dispatch the other family. Um, I, I believe it was the Contras we were trying to help out. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I can't, I can't remember. I'd have to do a little history searching, but in any case, he was, he was working against the other side because we were laundering a whole bunch of money through the CIA and, you know, Ollie North and all that. Like, that's another story. But 
my father actually, his whole job was to strike fear basically into the other side. And my father was really good at it. I mean, I wouldn't say really good, like he was kind of a bad guy, but he had to do what he had to do for his country. He was his contractor. That's what his job was. And as my father said at the time, he really didn't have the emotion about it. He was just doing a job. And, uh, I mean, he, he wiped out a lot of those people and it sent a clear message, you know, if you're going to keep doing what you're doing, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And he wasn't playing nice at all. <laughs> uh, and he, he basically took out entire families. You know, it wasn't just one specific, it was the entire family. And it's just, you know, the princess bride theory is he they didn't the cia didn't want people coming back going my name is Inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die so there's nobody there's nobody left to come back and and seek retribution at that point but it sent a clear message you know don't mess with us because we're serious and we're serious about our money so that's what my father did and so my childhood upbringing was quite interesting like i'd always ask him like what did you do in the military what were what was this? What was that? And I was like, well, you really want to know? He wouldn't tell me those things, but I remember my brother and I were like, yeah, we want to do, we want to know what you did in like training and stuff. And so <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but we actually, uh, you know, let him like tie us up and then he'd teach us how to escape from being tied up and so on and so forth. And <laughs> I remember one instance, um, he tied me and my brother up and, uh, he's like, okay, First one out, gets full breakfast, and he went into the kitchen and started making pancakes and eggs and bacon. That's all you could smell, man. I was like, oh, that's a motivating factor to get out of here. And, of course, I was the first one out, and I got a full plate of breakfast. <laughs> but it's not to say that my brother never got, like, fed or anything like that. It was just, you know, you got the extra reward of another piece of bacon or whatever, you know. But, like, that's just, I never really had a traditional, I would say, upbringing. My father, he's as we would describe him, he's he's like scary Santa Claus. He's just six foot four, you know, big, big belly, but he's just eyes of stone, like very serious. Like, you know, when he says, Hey, you need to do this, you do it. And that's just how I was raised. And, you know, that was, that was quite an interesting childhood upbringing, (laughs) learning all the different things that he went through. And, and yeah, that's, that's about that. Yeah, I I find it very interesting, man, uh, that you basically had a dad that they make movies about. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, well, like, uh, I I didn't learn that until I was about twenty five. But you know, as I was growing up, he was definitely a mystery. Right, and when you're describing him and stuff like that, I mean, I'm thinking the movie The Expendables. You know, where it's these guys who the government contracts and they do the things that you know nobody else really can do or wants to do or they don't want their name on and so they just kind of have these these guys who are outside the rules um and yeah it's kind of like what your dad kind of did and i I just i find that stuff very fascinating and i'm sure your dad if if he ever wanted to talk to me i I would love to hear his stories because i'm sure he's got stories for days oh he would chat you up for hours tony (laughs) <laughs> hours he's one of those guys that stops random people and he's like hey 
you want to learn something about me? And then four hours later, they're gnawing on their shoulder, trying to get away from him. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he's, he's got stories for days though. Like I, some of them, I just can't, I can't like believe they're so, ah, oh, they're just so crazy, but I know that they've happened to him because they've all been confirmed, like either outside sources, like that gentleman stepping up at the store and be like, thank you for pulling me out of that POW camp or, you know, instances like that. There, it's just like, wow. He he didn't have to do anything. He just told me the story, and it was self-confirmed down the road. Yeah, and you said that earlier in, when we were talking before the show. You said that mm-hmm. I guess the files and stuff were declassified, and like some of these stories are showing up now on you know uh, big network television and stuff. And the names have been yep. changed, but like his stories are out there now for the public to consume, pretty much. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean. I've had friends that they listened to him for a while and they ended up using his, uh, his surname to look him up and, uh, what he went under. And they're like, wow. Yeah, he, he really did. Like, there he is. There's that guy. (laughs) And, uh, they just couldn't believe it either. They're like, wow, this, this really does happen. (laughs) And that's just one of the things that, you know, we were talking about earlier is having an open mind and, you know, it, things happen. And, they may sound a little outlandish, but where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, man. Um, and you were saying that when you were a kid, you know, like he would do things like tie you guys up to teach you how to escape th- certain situations. And you, you also told me that, you know, you guys would go hide, hide and seek in the woods and like he was better at hiding <laughs> than Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, man. So I remember this one instance uh, we were at. He's like, you know, you go out. I'll track you by foot like track your foot in the, in the dirt. And then I'm just going to sneak up on you. I was like, yeah, okay, old man, whatever. Um, and I saw him getting ready. He's putting on this bright yellow jacket, bright yellow, like this guy, like I said, he's six, four bright yellow jacket, hard to miss, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to spy you from a mile away. Okay. So I get out there, I start roaming around and then bam, next thing I know about 45 minutes later, he's right behind me. Like, how did you get there? Like, I'm actively walking through the woods. Like, I'm not stopping. I'm, like, even trying to walk in circles to, like, confuse my steps, you know, brush some of them out, like, in the Dalmatians or whatever, you know, get rid of my footsteps with a branch, you know, whatever I got to do to try to confuse this guy, stepping on grass, you know, whatever. Bam, 40 minutes later, I'm like, how did this school bus just pull up behind me without (laughs) me noticing? Like, how did this happen? Where did you come from? And he just, he's got a laugh. Like, I've lost him in a store. I'm like, where's my father? Where's my father? Suddenly, suddenly I hear him laughing with some store employee. Just, oh, <laughs> well, there's my dad. Start walking in that direction. <laughs> like, how did I not notice this guy? But he, when he wanted to be quiet and when he wanted to get around, he got around quickly and quietly and unnoticed. Yeah. That, was, that was his specialty. So when, when you guys were older, and I think you said you were 25 when he kind of started dis- disclosing th- some things to you about what he actually mm-hmm. did, uh, there's different people in the world and everybody reacts to things differently. Uh, how did that make you feel knowing that your dad uh, was what he, what he was and did some of the things that, you know, normal people wouldn't do and they they would hope that they wouldn't be in a situation to have to do that but yet your dad mm-hmm. did it because he was contracted by our government to do certain things that are 
immoral or unethical, however you want to look at it, you know, but yeah. uh, it was his job and he did his job. And so, I mean, for me, uh, trying to put myself in your shoes, if my dad told me he did those things, uh, I I would want to believe that it wouldn't affect me as far as how I view my dad, because I know who my dad is for real outside of what he's been hired mm-hmm. to do. And I love my dad. Uh, and, right. But I mean, being in your shoes, I mean, for real life, uh, how did that affect you or did it affect you at all? Well, I stopped arguing with him a lot because <laughs> I knew we could back him up. But uh, no, but for real, like he was still my father, you know, uh, he was always just kind of this big guy that like I've seen him intimidate other people when they were totally in the wrong. You know, like they, they, uh, they got a little, oh, what's the word? They got a little, um, testy or, uh, uh, fresh. What, what do you want to say? Like violent with my brother or I, and they're a full grown adult. And then my dad steps out and he takes up the entire doorway and they're like, you know what? Never mind. It's not worth it. Like this guy is a big guy. Like I, I ain't going to mess with him. but I've never, in saying that, like, I've never, ever seen my father cry not one time in his life. Like he was having a, uh, a panic attack, which is almost like a seizure when he was having it is because uh, 25% of his heart was dying. And so, um, he was having like panic attacks that bled into like a seizure. And he said it was the most painful thing that he ever experienced in his life. And he never cried, none of that. But when he told me about what he did, like that was the first time I ever seen him cry ever. And it was that watching him cry, not what he did, Watching him cry was like, that's what took my breath away. I was like, wow, you know, like I've always looked up to you. Like you're this immovable stone that can't be hurt or, or hindered because you're my father. That's, that's how my father is, you know, just about anybody's father. It's like, this is the guy that's going to protect me. And he has for many years. But when he started crying and telling me about what he had to do for the government, because he was so ashamed, I was like, you know, in that moment, I was like, I'm not judging you. You you had to do what you had to do. And I can only imagine what would have happened to you if you just said, no, I know what I know now, but I'm not going to do it. So now you're just kind of a loose end, you know? So I was like, you know, you had to do what you had to do. I mean, you were, you were told by some very lucrative people, AKA CIA, that, you know, either you do this or you sit in the jail forever, or I can only imagine it would escal- escalate again. Like either you do this or, we'll make sure you never see the light of day again. Or, you know, at that point, I felt like he was more self-preservating. And so I was just, I was just supportive. But at the same time, I was awestruck and my father crying. But at the same time, simultaneously, it was like, am I in a movie? Like, am I listening to something that's, that's fabricated? But then once it got clarified by outside sources that I'd never met before, I was just, I was dumbfounded. Like, wow, I can't believe like this, this is real. Like, and I guess it, it's, it's kind of like a disbelief or, you know, I guess I wasn't even sure how I should feel about it. I mean, he's still my father and, uh, it's, it's not going to change, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I was just more, okay. <laughs> yeah. You want me to do that? Absolutely. No problem. I'll do that. No, don't worry. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you at all. <laughs> you can back it up. <laughs> You're a big guy and I, I'm not going to tell you no. But, you know, nowadays, big teddy bear. Big teddy bear. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. 
you know, strike up a, a fun conversation with you, you would never even know. I mean, completely different person than what he said he used to be. And he said that was because he had children. You know, at the time when he was doing all those things, I wasn't even a thought. Never even met my mom. But now that he has kids, me and my brother, or my brother and I, use proper English here. But uh, <clears throat> he said it completely changes his opinion on everything. He understood why, you know, what he was doing was really, really bad. And he just had to do what he had to do. Right. You know, uh, I was watching a TED talk earlier today, and it was a guy talking about how the environment that's in our military and the training that our soldiers go through, it essentially, essentially trains you how to not to cry. And he was, this was like the whole emphasis on his uh, talk. And I find it very interesting. And, you know, you kind of back that up a little bit where you, know, you never saw your dad cry. And, you know, Not once. Our, our military and the way we train our, our soldiers, and I'm sure this is pretty much worldwide, it trains you to be a tough guy, to know that you know that you can take on the challenge. And it, I have a guy that I work with, and he wasn't in the military. He's actually from Africa, but he is like, a, I think it's like a third or fourth degree black belt um, to the point where when he came to this country, he had to register his hands as a weapon. So he can't be in a yeah. fight because if he's in a fight, yeah. it's like using a gun and he'll be charged like that. And uh, absolutely, he's one of the most laid back guys, fun loving guys you would ever meet. And him and I have a lot of deeper conversations sometimes after work and w- basically the motivation behind it for him is I don't need to prove anything. Like if, if somebody's getting rowdy and stuff or, or yelling at me or being nasty to me, like I don't need to step into somebody because I know if it, if it went there, I know, I know I would be able to take this person and it's just not, I'm not willing to cross that line. So like, he's just so laid back and relaxed because there, he doesn't have a worry on those kind of, on that kind of level in the world, because he knows most people he comes across he could kill with his pinky. And so right. it, it kind of creates this different mentality in your mind when you don't, when you know you're the alpha, you don't need to prove that you're yeah. the alpha because you are. And, and it's just, it's really For interesting. Sure. And I actually, I'm going to have that guy on my show because uh, his life in Africa is something the audience would absolutely love hearing because uh, he talks about being raised in Africa and what it was like. Uh, there was a civil war going on and how he had to run uh, multiple times throughout his life from the war. He didn't finish school till he was like 25, 26 years old. And on top of that, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in Africa that he was telling me, uh, like snakes and stuff that you wouldn't believe existed. And uh, he, it, like, you want to talk about cryptids? These are straight up cryptids in real life. There's like, he's like, this actually happened. Like, people wouldn't believe it here in America, but he's like, this stuff actually happens in Africa. It's wild. And so I'm going to have him on the show one of these days. I'm going to have to come over to my house and hang out and talk and wait. stuff. But, um, anyways. Uh, I'll tell you what, Alan, I really appreciate you sharing that with me and the audience and stuff, because I, I find that kind of stuff very interesting and fascinating. And I know it's not paranormal or cryptid related, but it's definitely an interesting story. And it's that's what we're all about here. We're about interesting stories and people's lives and how they unfold. And uh, you want to talk to us about these UFO experiences you've had in Oregon. And to uh, a little disclaimer for everybody, I, I lost 
the email and everything of all the details that we're going to be covering. So <laughs> I told you beforehand, we're just going to roll with it. And uh, I, I remember reading it and everything and, and we talked about it, but um, I just want you to kind of just take it away for us and uh, talk to us about these experiences you had in Oregon with these UFOs. Okay. Well, uh, so I'm 31 now, uh, but let's, let's go back to my uh, high school days when I was around 16, 17. I can't exactly remember the year. But it was the middle of summer. And uh, anybody who's ever lived here in Oregon, and if I'm more specific about where I'm at in Oregon, I'm in central Oregon. Um, this is kind of like a hotbed, I feel like. Because you can come out here and you can see things that you're just like, okay, wh- what is that? What is going on? You know. So let's, let's jump back. Uh, middle of summer, June, right around there, June, July. Um, I'm about 16, 17. It's about 10, 10 almost 11 at night. It's nighttime. It's time to go to sleep. I'm going to go lay down. And how I used to live in high school was I had a bed. I had all those things, but I, I don't care what time of the season it is. I sleep with a fan. Like I need that white noise or I'm just, I'm hearing every little floorboard, everything. So I, I used to sleep on the floor right in front of that fan, my head inches from that fan, just because that's where I love to sleep. And that was my favorite spot. I mean, you know, it is what it is, but so I'm laying on my floor. It's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, fans blowing on my head. And right before you pass out, it's almost like the world goes quiet and blanks out because you're about to just cross over and go to sleep. And that's what I thought was happening. But then I like kind of jolted. I was like, huh, I'm awake. All right. Well, that was weird. Everything went quiet. And I was like, well, everything's still quiet. What's going on? It was about that time I realized I couldn't hear my fan blowing on my head. Couldn't hear the mechanics of the fan working. Couldn't hear any of that. Like, am I started to panic a little bit. I was like, am I, am I going deaf? So I started like snapping my fingers next to my ear. I'm like, yeah, I can still hear that okay, what's going on? Why, why is my fan not producing any noise? I can feel the wind. can't hear it moving past my ear. And it was about that time I noticed out my bedroom window that it is bright as daylight. And I was like, did I just pass out and wake up real fast and it's daytime? What, what's going on here? I checked my clock. Sure, sure enough, it's Toledo clock, it's 11 o'clock. Like, it should be dark right now. Why is it bright as day? And so I'm like, somebody's flashing a uh, flashlight in my window. And my father, uh, we were at my grandparents' house. Let me, a little bit of context here. Um, We were out by a place called Three Rivers. Um, And the reason it's called that is because where we lived is in between these two rivers. And they're separated by about a mile in some areas to two miles. And we are in one of those mile to two mile areas where we're in between the two rivers. So sometimes it would create its own little ecosystem with fog only in those areas in between the rivers. And as soon as you drive out, it's like nothing, just clear day. So in any case, my father's living there with me because uh, he was actually caregiving for uh, his parents because they, they couldn't take care of themselves. Um, and I was living there because I was going to school. In any case, he, his bedroom's right next to mine. I hear his floorboard creak because it's one of those older trailer homes, double wide. 
we were pimping it. <laughs> the floorboards creaked. And I was like, okay, dad's moving around. What's going on? So I got up, I opened my bedroom door, and his bedroom door is to the left of mine, and the bathroom's to the right. He's got his door open, but he's got his revolver in his hand. I'm like, oh, okay, it's one of those kind of parties. So I turn back around, grab my rifle, and I come back out, and I meet him in the living room. And I just had a 22, but, you know, it made me feel better. <laughs> so I stood out there, and we're both noticing that every single window on the house is lit up like daytime. And we're looking out, and it's lit up everywhere. The whole property is lit up like it is daytime. Like not blue light, but yellow sunlight-type light. And my grandfather, bless his heart, uh, he was a Korean War vet. And he was born in the 30s. And he comes out of his bedroom holding his Springfield 30-06. But he's only wearing his, uh, you know, his, he's in his whitey tighties and his, his little undershirt. And he's like, what's going on, gentlemen? And my father and I, we just kind of shrug at each other and shrug at him like, we have no idea what's going on. Like, okay. All three of us, armed now, go out to the back porch through this sliding glass door. And the first thing that struck me was this deck, when you stepped on it, it would go creak, pop, pop, creak, creak. Everywhere you stepped, it was an old deck. Could not hear one noise off of this deck. I could feel it popping under my feet, but I couldn't hear the noise. I could hear us walking, the shuffling, but I couldn't hear the deck. And then I noticed that the wind was blowing pretty pretty decently through the trees and I could not hear the trees rustling or the wind moving through any of it. And then I noticed there's this 500 foot perimeter of light all the way around our property. And we lived on an acre and right in the middle was us. And then there's this 500 foot diameter light, a big circle around us. And we're like, what? And so we look up, we see this, it, the best way I could describe it is almost like a floodlight, but it was like looking into the sun. You can't see around it. You don't know what's behind it. You just know that that light is there and is casting down upon you. And we all just stood there with what I imagine with our mouths agape, just staring at this thing. And then about that time, the light just started to shift and move kind of slowly and ominously towards our neighbors, towards the east. I'm sorry, the west. Yeah, the west. The rim of the light started to approach us. I was like, this is so weird, guys. Thinking of this all in my head. As soon as that light like crossed over us and we were on the other side of this big 500-foot perimeter light, you couldn't even tell that the light was being shined. It was like stepping outside of a portal and then not even be able to see that portal because they've got some kind of like cloaking field on it or something. It's just once I was outside that light, it was like that light never existed. But I knew subconsciously it was still there moving over the neighbor's house. But the strangest part of it, well, I mean, the whole thing is strange, but another strange part to it was as soon as you're outside of this light, noise started to flood back in. And when I say flood back in, it was like it started off in the distance and came rushing towards you like water. Suddenly, I could hear the wind blowing through the trees again. I could hear the deck underneath my feet. I could hear my heavy, panting breath again. Like, what is going on? And I started to like 
look around in disbelief at my father and my grandfather. I was like, what? <laughs> Am I, did you guys see that? I, we, we all just saw this thing. And my grandfather, <laughs> I'll never forget till the day I die, what he said. He just kind of looked at me with this plain face, shrugged and went, aliens. And went straight back to bed. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was just like, how many things have you seen in your life for you to just shrug and be like, eh, like, did you not experience what I just experienced? Was I like hallucinating? What, what happened? I mean, did you not notice the, the noise flooded back in? Like we were in the middle of a lake and then water started rushing us on all sides. Like noise, just noise. Just the noise is supposed to be there. The wind, the trees, all of it. Like, am I going insane? And he just waddled back inside and he's like, man, whatever. My father and I just kind of looked at each other and went, all right, I'm going to bed. Because what do you say in that moment? Let's go find it. Let's chase it down. I mean, maybe. <laughs> but that was not our first thought. Our first thought was kind of like a helpless, like, ah, oh, we just saw what we saw. And so I'm going to go back inside and not talk about it because everybody's going to give me that long stare. But <laughs> that was probably one of the more interesting UFO experiences that I had in my life. I mean, when I say that place is a hotbed, it was not only just UFO, but I had some paranormal experiences as well. Um, I mean, that place, being located where it was in between those rivers, they say that water kind of adds energy to paranormal or, you know, anything like that. So I feel like it was just kind of a natural gravitational point for a lot of these things. So do you think, I mean, whatever it was that was casting a light down had some kind of like noise suppression with it? Is that what you're thinking? I mean, how do you explain that to yourself? Uh, I couldn't. <laughs> I just, I just absorbed. Like, see, now my father, like I said, he was CIA. And so he kind of like trained me to like be observant, know what's around you, know who's around you, know what's around you, you know, know what your next step is going to be, know what you're going to think, say do all of that. And when that happened, I was just trying to input information as fast as I could. Like just the sketchbook in my brain, just going as fast as it can, sharpening that pencil over and over. Like what, what am I seeing? How do I put this down? Like noise suppression, possibly. Uh, most, I wouldn't say most definitely. Maybe it was just, I always thought maybe like some kind of gravitational disturbance where it just emitted something that just, when you're in that kind of field where they're floating above, like maybe things just get distorted. Maybe you're even on a different type of plane of existence for a moment <laughs> where certain things are just kind of outside that time and you're just in stasis, so to speak, or floating like some, some kind of noise suppression or dampener was going on at that point because i could still hear my my fingers snapping like that was my test like am i going deaf right now i was snapping my fingers next to my head I was like well yeah i can hear that i'm not going deaf but something is going on with all the audio around me like something is off it definitely affected machinery it affected environment it affected inanimate objects like the deck and so i mean it was just it was Ethereal, uh, I, I want to say ethereal or like magical in a sense. Like it just didn't make sense. My brain could not compute 
Yeah, I can understand that totally, man. I mean, and you're right. It's kind of trippy. It's, I mean, imagine if whatever that was, was kind of placing you in some kind of like other realm, you know, like opening up some kind of other dimension that you guys were experiencing while you were within that light. It's just really trippy to think about. And, uh, you know, we talk about some crazy things in the show and, you know, no possibility is off limits in my mind because, uh, I, I, firmly believe that this world is far, far crazier than we can ever uh, imagine. And, you know, as time goes on, you know, you learn that through science, more is possible than we ever could have imagined. Uh, In 1950, uh, the things that we know are real and true today was science fiction. And, you know, the whole idea of quantum physics is something that is very new to us. We're still trying to learn and understand it. But, it's quantum physics is if you were just to look at it, you'd say, yeah, that's paranormal, you know, because it's, it's science is, is proving more and more as time goes on that there are a lot more things possible than we could have imagined. And so when it comes to this stuff, it's just, I don't know, but it's, it's definitely like insane, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do know. <laughs> I lived it for a few seconds. It was, it was beyond what my brain could compute in that moment. It was, it was absolutely, well, I wouldn't say speechless because I'm talking about it, but like it, it just rendered me speechless at the moment. Like I had no idea what happened or how it happened. I had so many questions. That's how it always is. You get left with more questions than are answered at that moment. You're like, I, I don't go away. I want to, I want to know how you did this. I, I want to know what happened. And then you start looking at the peers around you. Like, come on, it was my father. It's like, what happened? Well, why did, did did you not hear? But but how did that happen? Why why did that happen? And he couldn't answer either. And so I was like, well, if this guy doesn't know, then this is really something strange. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And you were what, 16, you said then? 16, 17, right in that area. Uh, my birthday was actually uh, June. Well, it still is June. Huh? It's always June. But in any case, <laughs> uh, I was right on the cusp of 16, 17 in that area. Okay. And so uh, you said that there was other things that happened around that property, like paranormal experiences. Uh, did you ever see any other UFOs going from that point forward? Um, yes. My father and I, it seemed to be, you know, he loved standing out in the driveway in the middle of the night and just staring off in the distance. And we would just talk about, you know, whatever, like, let's go fishing, let's go do this. Or, you know, I saw this back in the day and then you know, yeah, I mean, we did see lights in the sky. Like, uh, there was one instance where, um, we both witnessed, um, a light moving. Um, it was brighter than it should be for the altitude that it was at. It was definitely not a commercial plane. It wasn't blinking. It was like a bright light, um, abnormal, like a star that was too close and it was moving slower than it should be for a meteor, but it was still moving fairly quickly. Um, I've seen the space station go by, you know, what that looks like or other satellites in our atmosphere go by and what that looks like. This was almost like watching a light bulb that was about 500 feet away from your face. But this thing in reality, it was probably about three miles up in the air, about 27 miles away from us. I mean, it was up there pretty far, and it was pretty far away. But the light that it was emitting 
was way too bright to be anything that I know of. And it started making moves that were unlike anything that I've ever seen a conventional craft of ours ever make. And then it stopped. And then like most UFOs that I ever hear of, it just goes and disappears into the sky. Just gone, gone. And my father and I looked at each other for a second. We're like, what the heck? And we waited there because like anybody who sees something like that, you think maybe you'll come back. Maybe I'll see it again. So we stand there and we stand there and we stand there. And then before you know it, after about five minutes, we see conventional aircraft, but they're military. And how I know they're military is because there's more than one of them and they're flying in formation. Now, some are coming from the east. And my father said that they are more than likely coming from Colorado, NORAD. And there were some coming from the north, Washington, one of those uh, air bases up there. And in the exact area where that thing stopped and disappeared at, up in the air, up in the space, they were flying in a Chevron formation, both groups, at least four planes, in a grid formation, passing back and forth over that area. Passing back and forth, like, literally like a grid. Like, they're scanning for something. They're looking for something. They're looking for what we just saw. And then... They do that for about two, three minutes, and then they just go back in their respective directions. And my father, he looked over at me, and he's like, you know, uh, we just saw a UFO. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I could have guessed from what we just saw, but, you know, that's, that's something I'm not used to seeing all the time. I mean, <laughs> yes, that, that area, it still is a very hotbed, like, activity area, like, I, I swear that we could just go camp out there over next summer and we would almost guarantee maybe not happen when you want it to happen, but if you're outside at the right time, looking up at the sky, you are probably going to see something that's strange. Yeah. I mean, around here where I live in the Philly area, it's, it's very um, populated. And so there's a lot of light pollution and things like that. But even in my area, there's been, a very high uptick of UFO sightings over the last year, year and a half, two years. And I mean, I've seen it. I've mentioned it on the show a couple of times. I've seen uh, a particular shape in the sky two or three times. I think it was three times. And around the same location, every time I was in my tractor trailer driving down the turnpike at night, and I see this V-shaped craft. I remember you talking about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I've had some people say, well, maybe it was a drone. This thing was very big. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was, it was big. Like I saw it from miles away. And as I got, that ain't to no it, drone I've ever yeah. seen. That's a large drone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw the light from miles away. And then as I caught up to it and was passing it, it was just hovering in the sky. When I looked up at it, it was in the shape of a V like a, like a, like a, check mark and one mm-hmm. one of the sides was shorter than the other it wasn't equal in length it was very distinct and uh you know so there's a lot of stuff going on in the skies and i imagine you know your area and stuff uh, you're probably seeing a lot of stuff man uh you said that you oh yeah you said that you had some paranormal experiences in that area too uh what did you mean by that um well uh, okay. So all the good stuff seems to happen when my father's around, but, uh, 
this has less to do with my father. He was just more of an informational piece into it. Um, I had a ex fiance at the time, and this is fast forwarding from my teenage years. I'm about 25. This is when he just basically told me this is my life and all that, but I'm living back there cause he's still taking care of his, his parents, my grandparents. And I actually moved back over there to take care of him and my grandparents because he fell into some medical condition where he couldn't do his job anymore. So that's how we got there. Well, I brought my fiance at the time, at the time I have a new wife. Let me stipulate that. <laughs> but at the time I had brought my fiance over with, and she had like kind of a rough life. And, um, by rough, I mean she bumped into people that I would definitely not associate with in the ways of what they practice religiously. Um, let's just go ahead and say it. They were Satanists. And she bumped into them and bumped with them without realizing that these people were Satanists. And I'm almost positive these people put, like, something on her. You know, whatever it may be, it's something that she kind of, like, just has with her now. So back to, you know, my house there and my grandparents and I'm with her. She has a five-year-old daughter and my ex-fiance at the time is hanging up a tapestry. Now this tapestry, it creeped me out. Like it was supposed to be innocent in looks, but just something about this tapestry, it had a sun with a face in the middle of it. And the face on the sun had closed eyes and it had a nose and a mouth that was in a very slight smirk. But the eyes were closed ever so slightly. You couldn't see any eyeball or anything. It was just eyelids. But every time I looked at that thing, I was like, this thing is going to open its eyes at me and start like yelling at me. <laughs> it's just so creepy. And it had some like artwork around the edges. You know, I was like, okay, this is a weird tapestry. Well, she started to hang it up in our bedroom. And her five-year-old said, mom, don't put that up. It scares me. It growled at me. And I'm like, what? This kid's saying things because she doesn't want this tapestry to be hung up. And of course, my fiance at the time was like, okay, well, I'll take it down. And so she laid it on the bed. And my father comes in. He's like, oh, how you guys doing? Where'd you get that? That's interesting. You know what that is? My fiance at the time is like, yeah, this is a tapestry that my sister got me. You know, I've kept it with me. It's, it's, you know, when I'm happy, I keep it next to me. And when I'm sad, I hold on to it because it reminds me of my sister. My sister got it for me. He's like, oh, so you've poured a lot of emotion into this thing too, huh? And she's like, well, yeah, my sister got it for me. It's, it's special to me. Like, oh, well, did you know it depicts the uh, satanic holidays around the edges? She's like, what? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is too strange. Like when I first met up with her, I knew that she had a rough life and she would have like run-ins with some friends who later down the road that she shacked with ended up telling her, yeah, we believe in Satan and we're Satanists and this is what we do, you know, deal with it. Now you have a tapestry that depicts all the different satanic seasons of worship. What, the, what the heck? Like, let's get rid of this thing. She's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's get rid of it. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's do this. And my grandparents, they're very devout Christians. And so my uh, belief at the time was, all right, we got we to gotta bless this thing and we got to get rid of it. We got to get rid of this tapestry. However, we're going to do it. You know what? We're going to burn it. But first, I got to bless this thing. So I'm like, I need you to just kind of step back 
let me take this thing. She, she was very willing to let me take it. Like, okay. Took it, went and grabbed my grandma's Bible in the middle of the night. Cause I didn't want my grandparents to be like, what are you doing? What's that? What's going on? Why did you bring this to my house? I'm like, I just trying to rectify the situation and get rid of it before it turns into, you know, something more than it needs to be with my family. So take it out in the garage, take this tapestry out there, set it down, go back inside, grab a glass of water and <laughs> feverishly and probably uh, an ill attempt to, to make some holy water right there. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bless the pat- tapestry and we're going to burn it. Okay. So I went, grabbed that glass of water. And as I'm like trying to bless it with my grandma's Bible and, you know, pray over it, I started getting this distinct feeling like there were people around me. Maybe not people, but there I was surrounded. So I'm checking my shoulders, like, okay, what's going on? All right, let's just, let's just get this done. So back outside onto this creek, creakety poppity deck that we have that goes next to this garage. My grandma's in a wheelchair, so we had a ramp that went down next to the side of the, uh, the garage side door. So I start going towards this door, and all of a sudden behind me, I hear some, like, I swear, somebody running up behind me at full speed, like a loping sprint. And I whipped around real fast, and there was nobody there. I could feel them under my feet running towards me. I was like, what is that? Okay, there's nobody there. A little creepy. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm tripping out. All right. Keep heading towards the door to where the tapestry is. I get to the door. I face the door. And up this ramp that's now to my back, I hear somebody almost, the best I could describe, speed walking. Speed walking really fast up this ramp. I'm like, spin around. Nobody there. I'm like, oh, okay. Something does not want me to do what I'm about to do. I need to just get in here and get this done. So I head into the garage. And at this point, I feel like a million eyes are on me. A million and a half eyes. More, more eyes than I wanted on me. And they were not happy. So I started taking this makeshift holy water. Sprinkling it at it. Saying, you know, in the name of Jesus. And I started going and all that. And... I got the distinct impression that I had better start sprinkling that water around me in a circle of like protection because these things are trying to get at me, whatever they are, just this distinct fight or flight feeling like either run or fight. And I was like, I, I'm not going anywhere because I'm trapped in this garage now. <laughs> like I need to, I need to stand my ground. So I started throwing this makeshift holy water and then halfway through that, I'm like, this is not working. This is not working. I need to, I need to protect myself and get out of here. And that's what ended up happening is I, I just got out of there. I was like, wow, well, I guess it won. Like it, it got me out of there. It got me away from the tapestry. That's not what I wanted. I, I shouldn't let it win, but I just, you know, lost faith in my capabilities in that moment. And I just, I got out of there because I felt like I was in danger. Like the most surrounded I have ever felt by nothing. And it was a trip. So the next day rolls around. I'm like, you know what? We're burning it regardless. So I just throw this tapestry into a wheelbarrow and I cover it in about three inches of kerosene. And I bring my ex-fiance out and I'm like, hey, hand her the matchbook. So throw that thing on it lit. We're going to watch this burn together. She's like, okay. She lights it and she throws that matchbook on top of that 
tapestry that was soaking wet with kerosene and it did not light up. It did not catch on fire. This thing is standing in two inches of kerosene, three inches maybe. It is completely soaked through and through. And this matchbook, completely lit on fire, is just smoldering on top of it, not burning it at all. I was flabbergasted. <laughs> Did I just pour water on this thing? No, this is definitely kerosene. Why is fire not lighting it on fire? That's when it hit me. I was like, she put so much energy into this thing. She probably can't. I don't know why I got that feeling, but she probably couldn't. So I lit up a matchbook. And as soon as I hit that thing with that lit matchbook, it just caught on fire and it burned and we stirred the ashes. And stupidly, I buried that tapestry on the corner of our property, which I really shouldn't have done. <laughs> but it was too late. It was disintegrated and worked its way into the dirt. And there's no way I'm sifting through dirt for ash. But that tapestry, I feel like it kind of tore a, a portal open, per se. Because after that, we, we had problems with um, flash moments of anger. And uh, it started to affect other people in my house, where they're just like, I don't know why I'm so mad all of a sudden, but I'm, I'm mad. I'm furious. And... Uh, my bedroom door it had a gap on the bottom, about two to three inches. And you could see underneath it, you know, a little bit. You could definitely tell if there was somebody walking by because their shadow would go across the door and it would block out the, the hall light. Well, more than one, more than a dozen, I would have to say maybe even a hundred times, my ex-fiance and I would be laying in bed and we'd be watching that door because we'd hear something out there. We're like, oh, somebody's wandering around. And we'd see the shadow move across the door. And me, thinking that it's the five-year-old getting up trying to sneak some string cheese from the kitchen or something, I'd jump up and I'd run over there. I'd rip that door open as fast as I can, and there's nobody standing there. I'm like, uh, okay. So I peek in my head real quick into my old bedroom. And that's where the kid sleeps, and she's fast asleep. She is out like a light. I mean, blanket strewn. Her hair's a mess. She is out. I'm like, oh, okay, this is definitely not the kid walking by. What was that? Like more than a few times we've seen a shadow move across the bedroom door, outside the bedroom door, but you could see the light being blocked by it. And that, uh, that house just, it reeked. It reeked of like, uh, I want to say evil, <laughs> even though my grandparents were totally devout Christians and we had, you know, all the, we had a very happy household, I would say. But once that happened, it just, it put a dark shadow over that place. And I just tried to, to deal with it and not give it power, not give it power at all. So what's the end, what's the end game here? I mean, did, did the house eventually feel more peaceful or the last time you were there, um, did it still feel evil? Well, we ended up like my, my ex fiance, fiance and I, we, we went to a priest. Well, uh, like one of our local churches and talked to the pastor there. And we're like, you know, this is what's going on. He's like, well, you need to, you know, tell it in the name of Jesus, uh, the blood of Christ, you know, it needs to go. It needs to listen to you. And, you know, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, and you need to just not give it power and 
and, and bless that house. And so we actually had that priest come in it's like, Oh yeah, it does feel a little uncomfortable in here. Like he, he was visibly like, he was a very cool level headed guy. But once you got in there, he like, you could tell he was just like, okay, I need, I need to have my defenses up right now. And his whole demeanor kind of like changed a little bit where he's like happy and fun loving, but you could tell he was like looking around corners a little extra at that point. But he started like, you know, praying over the house, praying over everybody in the house. And, um, yeah, everybody, like we all, my grandparents, my father, my ex fiance and I, like I had told everybody what was going on. I was like, listen, if the house feels a little strange, this is why. And like, this totally makes sense because we haven't felt right either. And so once we have that pastor come in, he, he helped to like bless the house and get rid of it. And I want to say it got rid of it, but it, it just really dampened it down. Um, I haven't been back there, uh, in a, in a bit because my grandparents, they actually don't live there anymore. So that, that house belongs to the bank now. And I feel sorry for whoever moves into that place. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, when we, when we left, um, that house was better. It was definitely better, but sometimes I feel like I have something that follows me because of it. Almost like I'm a conduit for that now because of what I experienced. I mean, throughout my whole life, I've always had a little bit of weird experiences, but like that was definitely something that I feel like held on for a bit. And it's still something that I kind of deal with today, but you know, I, I, I keep up my fight, keep my, keep my cross close. And, uh, and yeah, I just make sure I don't give it the power. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good, man. And you know, sometimes things do follow us around, you know, and you done messed up by burying that in the yard. Yeah. yeah tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's one thing with me. I mean, I've I mentioned it on my show before. Maybe I'll retell that story someday when I, uh, came across the guy that invited me to his house and, uh, was a Satanist and all that stuff. I mean, one of the things that I wound up doing that day was I took the satanic, uh, literature out of his house and, uh, I didn't want to take it to my house because, taking it to my house. I didn't know what was attached to it. And so I took it to a church dumpster. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> you know, maybe this is the, the most opposite that I can get. And I threw it, I buried it in the dumpster. <laughs> but uh, I kind of yeah, wish, yeah. wish I would have burned the books like I originally planned on. But the guy, like he was standing over me and he yelled at me. He's like, no. And I'm like, all right, bro, you're yelling at the wrong man. But uh, I'll, I'll respect your wishes and I won't burn them. Uh, but right. it's one of those things where I kind of wish I could go back in time and redo that whole situation because knowing what I know now, uh, it, the story would have gone a lot differently and it probably would have been more of a juicy story to tell people, but because <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I hear you. I, I, uh, I put up with a lot, with a lot that day more than I should have and more than I would have if it happened today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it's just one of those things where when you have something that might have some, evil attached to it. Uh, the last thing I would suggest to anybody is, you know, burying it on your property or even having it on your property in any form. Right. Yeah. Like you said, if I could go back and change everything from what I know now, uh, like then I was totally a novice. I was just like, all right, I've seen this in a movie before. We're going to take care of it and it's going to be good. And then it was like, what have I done after the fact? Just kind of like hand on the forehead, like, man, uh, I wish I would have approached that a little differently instead of just 
knee jerkingly as fast as I could, you know, like, let's, let's get done. Like, maybe I should have researched it a bit more. And, and that's, uh, yeah, I totally feel you. Like if I, if I could go back and redo that situation, I totally would. Yeah. It's, I mean, like you said, you were not like, I mean, it was one of those things where you really didn't exactly know how to handle it, but you knew you had to handle it. So you did the best you could, uh, you know, so yeah. it's like, Hey, does anybody have sage or one of those scented candles? <laughs> right. I, I just need something to burn here and, you know, <laughs> say some chant or something. I saw this in a movie mm-hmm. once, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. It's like, I, I knew I needed to do something, but I, I, I should have sharpened my skills in that aspect. That's, that's not how I was trained. I wasn't yeah. trained in that aspect. I was I was trained much differently. Yeah, I understand, man. I mean, I, even with me, I, people ask me all the time. They they email me things like, you know, I have this going on in my house. How should I handle it? And I mean, I I advise the best I can, but I'm not I'm not an exorcist, and I'm I'm not a demonologist. I'm not uh, a guy who goes to people's houses and you know cleanses or anything like that i i have a very short list of things that i recommend to people that i know work from my past experiences and talking with other people that i feel is uh something i feel comfortable recommending to people but when you're dealing with this kind of stuff it, it is serious and you know i i don't take it lightly and i don't want to suggest for somebody to do something that one wouldn't work and they lose faith in the process right. or two does more harm than good like like this is <laughs> this is something you don't want to play with. And so I'm very short on the list of things that I recommend to people. And I, I'm very clear to people. I, I'm I'm not sure if this is going to work or not. You can try it, but this is what I would feel comfortable sharing with you to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wish I had the arsenal then that I do now, you know, just the knowledge, the straight knowledge and, and the resources that I have access to now, actually. You know, I, sure. I, things definitely would have gone down a little different. I would have had real holy water, not some cap water that I just said, you know, bless this yeah. water. <laughs> you know, I, I would have had real holy water. I would have had, you know, some verses set up. Uh, I probably would have, you know, had some more ward on myself or protections. Um, you know, and I was just kind of like, I felt like I was just walking in there in my pajamas. You know, let's get this done. <laughs> yeah, and I I quickly found out that uh, I was not geared up for that type of battle at all. Yeah, you're, it's like, hey, babe, get the Aquafina Deer Park water. I need it now. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think Aquafina would have been uh, a better choice than the water I picked out. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Alan, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing these stories, man. It's really been a pleasure talking to you and. Uh, you have some really interesting stories to share and anywhere from your dad's life to the UFO to the paranormal stuff. I mean, definitely worth talking to you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Anytime. And it's it's been awesome talking with you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share this show with your friends, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Pinterest. I don't care where you share. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. And if you're interested in having extra episodes every week, remember, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, click the join button, become a member today for your extra episodes every Thursday, live shows, forums, lots of cool stuff. So if you're interested in having more of The Confessionals, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye.
Never land. 